kind of just forget about all the other stuff and and just come and gather in his name. The title of my message this evening is A Heart for God. And before I even go there, we're going to pray one last time as we always do and just ask God to anoint me and anoint you and and just bless those that couldn't be with us tonight. Amen. Uh, Father God, we just thank you for your presence. We do give you the glory and we give you the praise, Father God, because in the midst of whatever we've been through this week, uh, Father God, you just love us. And we just praise you for that. We thank you for that. We thank you, Father God, that uh, you've worked through our failures and worked through our faults. And you've brought us through this week so far, God, and you've brought us into your house. And so, Father, for that, we give you the glory and we give you the praise. But, God, we need your anointing as well. I need your anointing to be upon me, upon my body, upon my mind, my spirit. Father God, upon each word that comes forth tonight, that it would come from your throne room of grace, Lord God, that it wouldn't be me that the people see or hear, but that they would see and hear you, Father God, so that their lives would be changed by your word and your power and your anointing and not my own. We confess our need for you, and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. Amen. For those of you who haven't been with us over the last few weeks, I've been preaching on and around the subject of godliness and a devotion to God. I've not really started out for any of this to be a series, and it's not officially a series, but I I just seem to continue to be preaching and dancing around these two items. We've already looked at the fear of God and the love of God. But in order for our devotion uh, to be complete, in order for our devotion to be fully developed, we must have a heart for God as well. We know he has a heart for us, but we have to have a heart for him as well. You see, it's one thing to talk about the love of God towards us. It's one thing to experience the love of God towards us. It's one thing to understand the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of God's love towards us like we talked about last week. But how many of you know for a true love relationship, uh, it has to be reciprocal. It requires two people to actually have a love relationship. The truth is you wouldn't have many very good love stories If they were all one-sided, amen? You know, most of the good love stories that you watch on TV, that you read and you talk about, they go both ways, amen? Because a true love relationship involves two people, and it's a love that goes both ways. And that's what I want to look at tonight. I want to look at a desire for God. I want to look at a love for God. I want to look at a heart for God. A couple weeks ago, I showed you a triangle, which is on one of my slides, where I I tried to give you an an understanding and lay an example of how the fear of God and how the love of God create a foundation for a desire for God in our lives. And when you put all of those together, it creates a devotion to God. We cannot be devoted to God without without the fear of God and the love of God and a heart for God. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. But... Uh, when you have a uh, the, the fear of God and the love of God, they create what I am calling tonight as a desire for God or a heart for God. They create a solid foundation for a true love relationship with God. Uh, they create a divine devotion, uh, and that's that's all part of kind of what I've been preaching around and on over the last few weeks. And that's why I want to continue with that and talk to you about a heart for God tonight. 
Remember, the greater our understanding of who God is and who we are and the fact that he loved us anyway, the fact that he sent his only begotten son for us anyway, uh, when we understand those two things, who God is and who we are and that he loved us anyway, the greater our love for God becomes in return. And I know we talked about that last week, but I always like to just follow up. And make you, uh, so I don't lose anyone that hasn't been here, actually. Remember, while we were still sinners, God died for us, church. And like I talked last week, when we understand that, our love for him is truly born. We love him because he first loved us. Uh, So when our life is filled with a holy, righteous awe, which is part of that foundation, when our, uh, when our life is filled with this true understanding that a God so great and a God so holy and a God so righteous and a God so pure and gave His only begotten Son because He loved us, we will love Him in return. It's how devotion is built. It's how devotion is birthed. It's how a desire and a heart for God is born in our lives All of these things hinge on the fact that God demonstrated his love towards us. It all hinges on God's great love towards you and me. And in order to just give you a better understanding of how we need that understanding concerning Jehovah's love towards us, I want to look at just a second at the Muslim faith. If you look at the Muslim faith, the main element that is missing from their faith The main element that is missing in their relationship with their God, Allah, is love, church. Because Muhammad or Allah never demonstrated their love towards the Muslim. They never demonstrated like Jesus or God demonstrated their love towards us. Allah never demonstrated his love towards the Muslim individuals, church. The Muslims might fear God. They might be devoted to God. They might have some sort of... Uh, relationship with God, but in all reality, they cannot love Allah. They really cannot be devoted to Allah like we are devoted to God because Allah never first loved them. Allah never demonstrated his love towards them like Christ demonstrated his love towards us. Please understand the only reason we can love God or love Jehovah is because Jehovah first loved us. There is no other God known to man that demonstrated their love towards us like Jehovah demonstrated his love on Calvary through Jesus Christ. The only God there is. It's why the Muslim or any other religion, I'm just using Muslim religion for an example, so you understand how important it is for us to understand the love of God so that we can truly have a heart for God in return. Like I said, the reality is the Muslim faith is based on fear. It lacks love, and it's exactly why their devotion is distorted, because there isn't any grace in their faith. There isn't any love in their faith. The reality is, uh, it's it's why the Muslims will blow people up. It's why the Muslims will strap some bombs around themselves and blow other people up and kill themselves in the process, church. It's why violence and hatred and fear are such a strong element of the Muslim faith, because in the Muslim faith, there's not this thing called grace. 
There's not this thing called love. Love is not a character of Allah. Love is not the nature of Allah. It, it, there, there's nowhere in their religion, church, where you can find a demonstration of Allah's love towards them. They may pray five times a day. And I'm leading somewhere with this so you get an understanding. They may pray five times a day. They may confess Muhammad as their prophet every single morning. They may give 25% of their alms to the poor. They may travel to Mecca. They may hold to uh, Sharia law. But the question is, where is the love? In all of those things that I just talked about, in their five pillars of faith, you can't find love. Because the reality is, Allah never demonstrated his love towards them. Therefore, they can't demonstrate a love in return. I hope you grasp that and I'll give you a better understanding. The Word of God tells us, like we learned last week, that God is love. Like we read last week, God's nature is love. God's character is love. Everything about God is love. And he demonstrated his love towards every single one of us. But in the Quran, love is never used to describe Allah. It's not likened to his character or his nature because Allah is not love. Ask any Muslim if their God loves them. Ask any Muslim if Allah loves them. And if they say yes, ask them, how do you know that? How do you know that? If, if, if you ask a Muslim, does, God, does Allah love you? Some of them might say yes and some of them might be uh, caught off guard by that question. But if they say yes, ask them, how do you know? And the reality is they can't know Allah's love because Allah is not love. His nature is not love and his character is not love. They can't know his love because Allah, listen again, Allah never demonstrated his love towards them. It's why all they can do is have a five pillars of faith. They have to serve him. He's, they have a faith of fear and they have to serve him out of fear. Now, see, fear is part of what we have to have for our God. And we will act towards our God the same way the Muslims act towards Allah if we don't have the right concept of God. And if we don't understand the love of God, you see, you can't just have a fear of Jehovah and expect to have a right desire for God or a heart for God in return. It's why last week I so passionately described the love of God towards us, because we need the fear of God and an understanding of the love of God so that we might have a heart for God in return. The Muslim cannot point to a demonstration of Allah's love towards them. All we have to do is point to the cross. All we have to do is point to Calvary. All we have to do is point to Golgotha's Hill. All we have to do is point to Jesus, who was the demonstration of God's love towards us, church. To go a little bit deeper, listen. In the Word of God, we are told that God is Abba Father. A Father that demonstrated His love towards us. And while we were sinners, He still died for us. So that we could be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Remember the, the passage that I told you last week. <clears throat> Behold, what great manner of love the Father has demonstrated towards us in that we might be called the sons of God. You see, what I want you to grasp here is the intimacy of the word Father. We have a spiritual Father. We have a Father which is in heaven. And, and the Bible tells us that he dem the Father demonstrated His love towards us that we might be called the sons of God. Listen, when God uses the word Father here, 
It implies an intimacy. It implies unity. It, it implies fellowship. It implies a deep uh, relationship with God. The reality is, listen, in the Muslim faith, you can't call Allah Father or you can be condemned. You can't call Abba. You can't call Allah Father. There's no personal love. There's no intimate love. There's no affection from the Father. Therefore, there can't be an affection towards the Father. The Muslim can't love their God because he never first loved them. I say all that, church, because it's only Jehovah that demonstrated his love towards us. And, and when we understand the love of Jehovah, then we can truly have a heart for God in return. I wanted to lay that foundation because you need to clearly understand that just like the Muslim faith is distorted because it lacks love, I want you to understand that our faith can be distorted if we do not have the right concept of God. If we do not have the right fear of God, and if we do not have a right understanding of the love of God, it will distort our love for Him in return. It's why it's so important. It's why I so passionately preached on that to you last week. As I closed last week's lesson, I read this, 2 Corinthians 5:14, where Paul says to the church, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that Jesus died for all, so that all those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I want you to see again, here it is, it's all about love. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love should be the foundation of our faith. It, Christ's love is what pushes us. Christ's love. Paul is saying it's Christ's love that motivates us. It's Christ's love that drives us on. It's Christ's love that pushes us. It's, it's Christ's love that causes us to endure. It's Christ's love. It is the foundation of our love for Him, church. You need to understand it is Christ's love that compels us and drives us to, to love the Father in return. Understand that it's Christ's love. What Paul is saying, it's Christ's love, which is the catalyst of my love for him. It's Christ's love that is the catalyst for my affection to him and my devotion to him. It's Christ's love that drives me and compels me to no longer live for myself, but for the one who died for me and rose again. Do you understand what I'm saying? You cannot be driven to love God unless God loved you first. It is Christ's love that was demonstrated towards us that compels me and forcefully drives me to live for Christ. That's what compel means. It means to forcefully drive. You see, I said it last week to some degree. If you don't, if you're not compelled to love the Lord... If you're not compelled to worship, if you're not compelled to sing, if you're not compelled into His presence, if you're not compelled into the Word of God, there's this, you don't have a right relationship or understanding of the love of God towards you. Because when we have these things, we, we will be, we'll be saying and doing what Paul said, for Christ's love compels me to no longer live for me, myself, or I, but for the one who died for me. You see, please understand me. God's love and Christ's love doesn't compel us to love me, myself, and I. It compels us to love the one who died for us. That's the depth of his love. 
And it should compel us to love him in return, church, to be devoted to him. That's what we have to understand. The truth is, when we understand the love of God, like I taught last week, when we grasp the awesomeness of his love towards me, a sinner, it will compel us and forcefully drive us to live for God, church. It will forcefully drive us to no longer do what is right in our own eyes. It will forcefully drive us to no longer walk in our own ways. It will forcefully drive us to no longer give in to the lust of the flesh and the the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It will compel me to glorify God in my life. Please understand how this works, church. It is Christ's love that compels me to watch what I say. It's Christ's love that should compel me to watch what I wear. It's Christ's love that should compel me to live a life that is worthy to bear the title of Christian and believer, church. Christ's love is what should compel me to love Him in return. To love Him with all of my heart, love Him with all of my soul, love Him with all of my mind, and love Him with all of my strength, church. When all of these items are in place, it will drive us to worship Him, church. When all of these elements are in place, the fear of God and, and the love, understanding the love of God and, and a heart for going, all of these things are in place, it will compel us to worship Him will compel us uh, into His presence, like I said. It will compel us in the morning to, to get into the Word. It will compel us at nighttime to, 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 to unite with God before I lay my head on the pillow. It will compel us as we're driving down the street to turn on the radio and lift up a hand and begin to have communication with the Father. Who loved us so much he calls a son. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we have a heart for God and understand the love of God, it compels us to do things we would never otherwise do. If you find it a difficult task to come into the presence of God, if you find it a boring task to open up the Word of God, if you find it difficult for you to lift a hand and worship and, and spend time in the presence of the Father, please understand you don't understand his love. You still have some weaknesses in the foundation of your faith. And I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm giving you a formula, a biblical formula on how we can truly demonstrate our devotion to God. It's something that must be built every single day. It's something that must be increased in our life every single day. And I'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Please understand your fear. The fear of God should be a constant development in your life. The understanding of the love of God should be a constant revelation in your life. You know, I talked with you last week. All of a sudden, the windows of heaven opened and God's love poured out into my life on a specific certain day. But His love didn't stop on that day. God's God's love didn't stop increasing in my life in 1981. Every single day, I find out something new about the love of God in my life. And I praise Him for it. And the reality is, the more I seek Him, the more I get to understand His love for me, the greater my love for Him grows. And the more I am compelled to not live according to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and and, and the pride of life, but the more I am compelled to please God in everything that I do. It's what compels me, Paul said. What compels you? What compels me? What compels you to get up in the... That's a serious question we have to ask ourselves. What what compels me in my life? For some people, it's money. 
For some people, it's ego. For some people, it's power and prestige. For some people, it's material gain that compels them through the day. But Paul said, it is Christ's love that compels me to live my life for the one that died for me, church. We can't forget that. And the more we understand that, the more we love God the way we should love God. Understand, the truth is, it is Christ's love that stirs our affections. It is Christ's love that awakens within our soul a desire for God, a desire to walk with Him, a desire to uh, talk with Him, church, just like Enoch did, just like Adam did, just like so many people in the Word of God did. When, When we have this understanding of Christ's love, it compels us into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, the desire to be in His presence, a desire to fellowship with Him, a desire to demonstrate our affection in return. Listen, for those of you that are in relationship or been in relationships, you understand how much easier it is to demonstrate love in return when you have been loved first. When my wife and I dated, it was easy for us to to demonstrate our love one for another. She would do something wonderful for me, and I would then do something wonderful for her. But if it was always her doing something wonderful for me, and I never reciprocated, guess what? I think she would have said goodbye and left me a long time ago. But I want you to understand, God, God, even though He demonstrated such an awesome love towards us, guess what? He wants your love in return. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to be pampered by you. You understand. There's nothing different about our relationship with our father than there is with our spouse or a best friend or, or a brother or sister. We need to understand that. Last week, I read to you or mentioned to you Psalm 42, where the writer says, As the deer pants for water, so my soul longeth after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with my God? What an awesome question. When I got to that and I read it, you know, so often we don't read that part. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. And we kind of stop right there. And we forget that it says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? When can I come into His presence? When can I talk with Him? When can I fellowship with Him? When can I sit close to Him? When can I lay my head upon his chest? When can I share my affection for God? When can I go to my God? When can I go to my God, church? Listen, as the deer pants for water, the writer says. And if you study this, you'll find that the writer is referring to a deer that is being hunted. He's referring to a deer that's being tracked down. He's referring to a deer that's running for his life. A deer that's caught in the crosshairs. A, a, a deer uh, that, whose, whose lungs are, are, are burning because he's been running for his life. Whose muscles are tight. His entire body longs for a single drop of water. Uh, 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 the water of life. This is, this is what he's talking about when he's talking about a deer that's panting for water. He's exhausted, he's panicked, he's filled with fright, and he's thirsting for a cool drop of water. And the writer says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longeth after thee. This is the intensity with which David wanted to be with God, church. And I wonder sometimes, is that the depth of our affection for the Father? 
Is that, is that truly something that, is that a reality in our life or is that something we just sing? Does our heart truly like the deer that is running for its life, whose lungs are burning and wants just a drop of water? Is that how desperately we want God? Is that how much our heart longs to be in the presence of the Father? Is that how much we long to bask or, or be in a relationship with God? How desperately David longed to be with God, and it should be our desire as well, church. When can I be with my God? But sadly, we have trouble even getting up on Sunday morning in order to come into the house of God. David says, when can I be with my God? And we make excuses when it comes to opening up the Word of God. We make excuses when it comes to coming into the house of God. We make excuses when it comes to getting in our prayer closet and having fellowship with God. We make excuses while David is saying, like the deer pants for water, so my soul longeth after you. When can I be with my God? That should be our heart's cry. That should be our heart's desire. And forgive me, God, for when it's not. I'm telling, look, I'm just like you. I'm caught up with the cares of the world. I'm caught up with responsibilities. I'm caught up with duties and obligations, and a lot of them are good. But the, the cry of my heart should be like, David, when can I be with God? When can I see Him? When can I sit with Him? When can I rest in His presence, church? That should be the cry of our heart. Instead of longing for Him, sometimes, church, we find that we don't even miss Him. We can go without the Word of God a day, a month, some three months, and we don't even miss it. We don't miss the bread of life. We don't seem to find ourselves thirsty. We can skip His house on Sunday, skip His house on Wednesday, skip this and skip that. And the sad reality is, I'm not saying, I praise God you're here, you didn't skip that. But I'm saying that we all have the, the potential to not even miss God. When our heart should pant after God, like the deer pants after water. You see, our heart's desire is when can, should be. When can I be in the presence of the one who lay down his life for a friend? When can I be in the presence of the one who said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly? When can I come into the presence of the one who satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with all good things? When can I meet with Jehovah? That's all David wanted. When can I be with God? He had obligations. He had responsibilities. He had a kingdom. He had soldiers to look after. But all he wanted to do was be with God. When can I be with God? In Psalm 27, 4, David said, One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek. One thing above everything else. One request I will make. If I had to narrow down my soul's desire to one thing, David said, if my wish list, if my prayer list, if my list of desires had to be whittled down to one single thing, David said, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. This is a heart for God. This is a desire for God. This is a true longing for God. David wanted nothing more than to be with his God. Nothing more than to be in the presence of Jehovah. Nothing more than to have fellowship with the Father. You see, David didn't just talk about God. 
David didn't just write nice poems about God. You understand what I'm saying? David wanted God. David wanted God. David wanted to be in the presence of God. David wanted to be knit together with God. David wanted to have fellowship with God. He wanted to sit with God, be with God. Should be our heart's desire as well. David had a desire for God, longed to fellowship with Him. And we should do the same exact thing, church. Listen, David's desire wasn't simply to come to church. David's desire wasn't simply to walk into the temple and say, I did my Christian duty. David's desire, and even though there's nothing wrong with it, his desire wasn't to pick up his harp and play some music. His his heart's desire wasn't to sing some songs. David's number one desire was to gaze upon the beauty of his Lord. That was his heart's desire. All of those other things, the singing and the playing the harp, and they were all, they were all because of his desire to just be with God. I wonder when the last time, listen, I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. I'm wondering when the last time I I come to church on a Sunday where my sole desire is to gaze upon the beauty of my Lord. When my sole desire is to just sit in His presence. When my sole desire is to just be knit together with God and and experience a deep, intimate relationship and fellowship with the Lord. That's what we have to understand. Listen, my duty to come up here, my duty on Wednesdays is to come up here and preach. My duty and responsibility on Sunday is to come up and and prayer and to help officiate the service before preacher. The pastor stands uh, behind the pulpit and he brings the word. And in the midst of all of those good things, we got people that, that sing in the choir. And we've got people that play musical instruments. And those are all part of what we call worship. But we cannot afford to lose the, the single most important desire. And that is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. All of this other stuff sometimes gets in the way. I think sometimes we should have none of that and just come into the house of God and experience fellowship with the Father. I'm not saying we have to do that, but do you understand what I'm saying? Even these good things that I've been anointed to do or called to do and everyone else too, they can stand in the way of the single most desire we should have. And that is to gaze upon the beauty of of the Lord. David's desire was to fellowship with God. Please understand, going to the house of the Lord wasn't a ritual for David. It wasn't a routine for David. It wasn't a chore and it wasn't a bore for him. It was a demonstration of his desire to be with God. Every time David made his way to the house of the Lord, every time David made his way to a place of prayer, it was to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. It was to find fellowship in the presence of his father, church. This needs to be our desire as well. It needs to be our heartbeat. It needs to be what motivates us and drives us, church. Earnestly I seek you, he said. With deep sincerity and fullness of heart, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. It's a different passage, but again, demonstrating his desire. And if that isn't a heart for God... I don't know what is. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. That is the kind of heart that God desires for His people to have. This is the desire for God that I'm talking about tonight, church. It is the peak of godliness to want nothing more than God. 
You see, the reality is so many of us are in a place where we want something from God. And it shows how immature we are. It shows how shallow we are in our faith and in our understanding of our love for God. We come into the house of God because we want something from God and not just to be with God. Please understand there's a huge difference between that church. We need to learn to come into the house of God because we simply want to be with God. Simply because we want to gaze upon His beauty. Sometimes we need to forget it. Sometimes it doesn't matter how desperate our need might be. I believe there's times we have to come into the house of God where we leave every single one of those needs outside and just come and bask in His beauty. Come and bask in His presence. Get lost in His love. You understand what I'm saying? Because when we allow ourselves to experience the love of God... Something happens in our life, and all of a sudden we begin to to demonstrate our affection and our love and return for Him regardless of what need we might have. Because I left my need outside, because I'm coming in to just bask in His glory, because I've forgotten about the woes, and I've forgotten about the storm, and I've forgotten about the trials, and I've forgotten about the tribulations, and I've left them aside because they've troubled me all week and kept me away from God. They've confused my mind and tormented my mind, and they've troubled my heart. But now, for this moment, I just want to bask in His presence. And when we do, all those cares seem to vanish, church. This is what we need to understand. This is what we need to learn. And it's how a devotion for God is developed in our lives. In Philippians 3.10, Paul said something similar. I want to know Him, he said. I want to know Him. And it's amazing. You know who Paul is. Greatest author of the New Testament. Greatest proponent for the Word of God. He had already experienced the grace of God, already been to Straight Street, already had a vision from God, already been converted. Now he is the greatest writer of the gospel. And here he says, I want to know God. Didn't you already know him, Paul? You've been writing all about him. You've been writing letters to the church, starting churches, going on. Don't you already know him? What he's under. Listen, I don't know him enough, Paul was saying. Paul was saying, yeah, I've got a relationship with him, but, but, but I want more. I need more. I want more. You see, one week isn't enough. You could come to, you can and will hopefully come to the house of God for, for your entire life and still never know, fully know him. For now we see him dimly. For now we know him in part, but there's coming a day where we will fully know him, fully understand him. It's a continual process. Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know him more. I want to know him intimately. I want to know him deeply. I want, I, want to, I want to know the power of his resurrection, he said. There's more to know about God than I know right now. And if any of us ever get to the place where we think, I know enough about God, forgive us. I want to know him. It should be our heart's cry. It should be our heart's desire. Because there's something about God you don't know. There's something about God you haven't experienced. You see, there's some of you in the house that don't know Jehovah Jireh, our provider. 
There's some of you that don't know Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals me. There's some of you in the house of God that don't know El Roi. You think they're out there all on your own and God don't care and God don't see and God's ignoring you. But He is the God who sees. You understand? There's something about God you don't know. And He wants to reveal Himself to you each and every day. And it should be your heart's cry. God, I want to know you today. I want to be intimate with you today. I want to experience something about you that I've never experienced before so that I will be compelled to worship you. Compelled into your word. Compelled to live for the one who died for me. Are you beginning to put all this together, church, and understand where I'm going with this and where the Holy Spirit's leading us? I want to know him. He didn't say I want to know about him. He didn't say, I want to know of him. Paul said, I want to know him, like I said. And the word that Paul used, it means to have established and fixed in the mind and the soul. It means a fixed certainty. Understand this. Paul's greatest desire was for Christ to be a permanent fixture in his life. Permanent fixture in his life. You grasp me that? A permanent fixture in his life because he loved God. He wanted to be woven together with God. The only way that God and Christ will become a permanent fixture in your life is if you are woven and knitted together with Him. It's the only way He can't be moved out of your life. You see, the reality is for so many of us, God is nothing more than a part-time pleasure. Uh, we're not woven together with Him. Our hearts aren't knit together with Him. We come and we, 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 we come and maybe sing to Him and fellowship with Him a little bit on Sundays and then we forget about Him the rest of the week. I'm not saying that's you. I'm saying that's what happens in the house of God. That's what happens in Christian lives. That God is not, Christ is not, the Word of God is not, the Spirit of God is not a permanent fixture in their life. He's not a permanent fixture in their marriage, and it's why their marriages fall apart. Do you get what I'm saying? He's not a permanent fixture in their thoughts, and it's why their thoughts lead them astray. He's not a permanent fixture in their finances, and it's why they suffer lack. He's not a permanent fixture in their family. They don't have devotions. They don't, they don't, they don't make Christ a permanent part of their household life, and it's why their families fall apart. He's not a permanent fixture in their businesses so their businesses fail not a permanent fixture in their job that they have so they don't do their job right and they don't get bonuses and they don't get raises and they suffer lack as well you understand what i'm saying paul wanted jesus christ to be a permanent fixture in his life not some part-time pleasure that he pandered to on sunday morning or pandered to on wednesday night he wanted him woven and knit together in his life and unless he is knit and woven in every area of your life, he will be moved out of your life. You understand? If you don't weave him into your marriage, it will be easy for you to push him out of your marriage. If you don't weave him into your thought process every single day, set your mind on things above where God is seated. You understand? If you don't weave him into your thoughts, your thoughts will betray you. If you don't weave Him into your life, your life will not be a reflection of Jesus Christ and you will not be devoted to Him. It's got to be a permanent fixture in our life, church. It's exactly what he was saying. The amplified version of Paul's word says, My determined purpose is that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately united with Christ. Perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of His person more strongly and clearly every day. 
and to have him firmly fixed in my life. That's what the Amplified says. That should be the desire of every one of our hearts, to have him permanently fixed in our lives and to know him more and more every day, strongly and clearly every day, to gain a better understanding of his wonders, church. It should be the heartbeat of every single one of us to know him, to be woven together with Christ, to be intimately, intimately united with Jesus Christ. That's what our hearts desire. Listen, like I said, one of the biggest problems with Christians today is that Christ is not a permanent fixture in their life. The other problem, it's why we struggle so much in the house of God. It's why we counsel so much in the house of God. It's why people struggle with addictions and they struggle with that and marriages are falling apart because He's not a permanent fixture in their life. Are you understand? He's got to be fixed. And if He's not, we'll be broken. And things won't work. We have to understand that, church. Another, another problem with the Christian today is that there isn't a fixed certainty. Remember I told you that the, the definition of no that Paul used is a fixed certainty as well. And the problem with so many Christians today is that Christ is not a certainty in their life. They doubt His love. They doubt His affection. They doubt His mercy. They doubt His grace. They doubt His power. They doubt that He can heal me. They doubt that He can deliver me. Doubt that He can provide for me. Doubt that He can restore me. Doubt that He can... You understand what I'm saying? They, they don't have a fixed certainty of who God is. They're not, quite, they're, they're not quite certain that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not quite certain that He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. They're not certain of the fact that He is the, the ruler of the universe. He, they're not quite certain that He sent His only begotten Son for me, a sinner, so that I might have life and have it more abundantly. And it's why they walk around in guilt. And it's why they walk around in condemnation. And it's why they, they can't seem to have victory in their life. And it's why they want to throw in the towel every other day when they make a mistake because they're not certain of God's forgiving grace. They're not certain of His love. Listen, I've been there in my life. What's the use? You know, I found myself several times in my Christian life early on where I, I, I'm like Paul. It says, I, I find myself doing the very thing I hate. And I do it over and over and over again. So what's the use? I'm not pleasing God. Uh, how many times can I go to God and ask Him to forgive me? He doesn't love me. And I listen to the whispers of the devil. Listen, there was a time in my life where I was not certain of the love of God. It wasn't fixed in my life. And it's why I wandered. It's why I lived under guilt and condemnation. Listen, if you're living under guilt and condemnation, you, you, you don't have a certainty of the power of His blood. You don't have a certainty of His love towards you. If you're struggling with all of these things, that's the number one area you need to focus. It's the number one area where you've got to ask God to reveal Himself even greater. Because you will love Him when you understand that He first loved you. And you will be compelled to live a life like you've never lived before. Do you, are you grasping what I'm saying, church? This is exactly what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us. In John 14, 9, Jesus says to Philip, well, even before I go there, one of the things that I wanted to say, the house of God is filled with individuals that don't quite know Him. They just don't quite know Him. That was Paul's desire. I want to know Him. But the house of God is filled with individuals that quite don't quite know Him. Don't have that certainty that they should have. Now I say, John 14, 9, Jesus says to Philip, Do you not know me, Philip? 
even though I have been among you for so long now? Powerful question. Do you not know me, Philip, even though I have been among you for so long now? And how that sounds just like so many people in the house of God. I've been among you for so long and you still don't know me. You've been coming to my house for 10 years, for 5 years, for 15 years. You sing songs, you, you read the Word of God, you listen to sermons, you, you, you work in a ministry, you, you might sing in the choir, you, you, might, you might be doing all these things. Uh, I've been among you for so long now, but you, don't you know me? The reality is the house of God is filled with individuals that have been coming for years or weeks or months and they still don't know God. Using the word no, still don't have this certainty of who he is. Still are not woven together with him. Still don't have a deep, intimate, personal relationship with him. They don't have the, the, the right understanding of who God is. And it's why their, their Christian faith is a bore. It's why their Christian faith is a chore. It's why when the alarm goes off on Sunday morning at whatever time they, uh, they hit the snooze button five times and, ah, oh, maybe I'll go to breakfast instead. Ah, oh, the sun is shining and I haven't been out on the golf course in quite some time and I hear the fish are really biting over. Understand what I'm saying? You see, something else is more exciting. Something else has seemed to have a, a greater attraction and affection. Why? Because their Christian faith has become a bore or their Christian faith has become a chore. And listen to me. We have all been there, including me. We've all been there. And when we find ourselves there, guess what we need to do? We need to meditate on the love of God. We need to reunite. We need to knit ourselves back together. We need to say like Paul did, God, I, I need to know you today. It's becoming a chore. It's becoming a bore. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm saying, I'm not saying you, you could be loving God with all of your heart. And there still be times where just it's hard to get into it. You understand what I'm saying? But if this becomes a continual thing, we need, we need to reevaluate the foundation of our faith, because if the desire is not there, there's only really two reasons. It means that, that I have forgotten about the love of God or, or I have I no longer have the right concept of God. And something in that formula needs to be stirred up so that I can once again have the right desire for God. Amen. We need to stir. Uh, Paul said, stir your way up by way of remembrance. Sometimes we need to stir ourselves up, remind ourselves who God really is and who we are and how much he loved us. And it, it stirs us and motivates us and compels us back into a right relationship with God. He's been among so many of us for so long, and yet we're not intimately acquainted with him. Paul and David yearned to experience fellowship with God, and so should we, church. All through the Word of God, and I'm going to begin winding down, but all through the Word of God, from the beginning to the end, now, I, could, I don't have time to talk on all the passages, but from Genesis to Revelations, you will find that God's divine design and desire is fellowship with his children. In Genesis chapter 3, you find out, all, all the way in Genesis, Adam, God desired to have fellowship with Adam. The Bible tells us that Adam walked 
with God in the cool of the day or God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. They walked together, talked together along life's narrow way. You know the song. They fellowshiped with one with another. They had intimacy one with another. They, they were weaving their souls together, church, in the cool of the day, the Bible says. That's what fellowship is. I hope you understand that's what fellowship is. It is the weaving together of your soul. It is the weaving together of your heart. When you truly fellowship with someone, your souls become knitted together. Your souls become woven together. If you have a true love relationship with your spouse or a true love relationship with a friend or True love relation. You understand what I'm saying? The, every time you fellowship, your heart and your soul becomes knitted closer together. And it's almost impossible to pull it apart. That's what happened with Adam and God in the Garden of Eden. They walked together and their souls were knit together. And when Adam went and sinned, ah, how did it hurt God? Because it tore at the fabric of their relationship. And then here's, I mean, I don't want to get off track, but the very first thing we preached it before, Adam did was he went and hid because all of a sudden he had the wrong concept of God because he was, there was no longer this certainty of who God was. So he went and hid. He wasn't certain of his love. And we do the same thing. It's why we always have to have these elements established in our life. When you go to Revelation 21, like I said, from the beginning to the end, and I'm not going to read all the ones in between, but when John sees the, the vision of New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, he hears the voice of God, and God says, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. It's all about fellowship. It's all about knitting ourselves together with the Father. It's all about coming together with Jesus Christ and basking in his presence. Unfortunately, for so many of us, church, our Christian faith has become uh, practiced instead of personal. It's become practiced instead of precious. So often our relationship with God, so often our relationship with the one who died for us is nothing more than a nine o'clock service or an eleven o'clock service or a Wednesday night service. For some of us, it's our relationship with God is nothing more than three songs, a prayer, a sermon. Uh, a, a little time at the altar and then lunch. And unfortunately, for a lot of individuals that come to the house of God, lunch is the most precious thing of all of those. Can't wait to get to lunch. Why? Because like I said, because our relationship is nothing more than rehearsed. It's nothing more than, than a routine. It's not a relationship. It's a routine. It's practice. It's something you got to do. It's not a relationship. And that's what God wants. It's what Christ died for so that we could have a relationship with God. A relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords Church. Okay, I read my Bible. I had my quiet time. Nothing wrong with all of these things. Just understand what I'm saying. Okay, I've gone to church. I can check that thing off. I, I've said my prayers. I can check that thing off. And all of that is well and good, like I said. But the question is, have we had fellowship with God? Have we broken bread with the Savior? Has our heart longed for the Lord today? Has our soul been satisfied by God? Have we gazed upon His beauty? And have we been knit together in his fellowship. I'm closing with this. David said, my soul thirsts for God. It longs for fellowship with God. He said, when can I go meet with him? How much longer do I have to wait to be with him? It was the deepest desire of his heart. And I'm going to close with this story. 
I know I'm about 20 after, but I'm going to close with this. Because every time I read about love relationships, it reminds me of a story that I heard. And you know, I always just want to put it in here. But it reminds me of a certain man that was passionately in love with a certain young lady. All day, this young man wondered how he might express the depth of his love towards this beautiful creature that he adored. He sought diligently passionately for just the right words, words that would truly reflect the depths of his affection for this beautiful young lady. And when the words were formed and familiar within his mind and within his heart, he calls his sweetheart on the phone and he begins to express his feelings for her. Oh, my lovely, I'm calling just to let you know how much I truly and deeply love you. How much do you love me? She asks. I love you so much that I would climb the highest mountain just to gaze upon your beauty. I would walk to lowest valley just to look upon your lovely face. Oh, how sweet, she replies. She was truly moved by his words of affection. The young man, feeling even more motivated now, continues, Yes, I love you so much that I would brave the wildest jungle simply to hold your hand. I would fight the fiercest battle just to feel the warmth of your loving touch. Oh, my, she sighs. You do love me. You really do love me. This the young man finishes his loving expression, feeling like he's on top of the world. And he says, yes, my dear, I love you that much. I love you so much that I would swim the widest channel. I would conquer the wickedest waves just to be by your side and share my deep devotion with you. Overtaken by emotion, the young lady immediately asks her knight in shining armor when he can come and rescue her from her boredom. When can you come and be with me, she asks. And he replies, as soon as it stops raining, I'll be there. (laughs) And I say all of that because sometimes we're exactly like that with God. Oh, I love you, God. I worship you, God. All of those things. You know, with our lips, we show much love. But when God asks, when can you come and be with me? When can you come and rescue me from my loneliness? God gets lonely, church. When can you come and gaze upon my beauty? When can I enjoy your fellowship? We come up with some lame excuse. When it stops raining, God, I'll be there. When my troubles go away, when I have just the right amount of money, when I'm feeling a little bit better, when my marriage situation works out. You understand what I'm saying, church? When, when. Then I'll be there. And all God is God. You see, David, here's what I'm ending with. David's the one that asked the question, when can I go be with my God? But what I'm asking you tonight is God's question. When can you come and be with me? That's what God's asking tonight. When in your busy schedule and all that, when can you come and be with me? Because the reality is God and Christ want to become a permanent fixture in our life. He wants to weave his heart with our heart. If that's your desire tonight and you say, God, yeah, I've not been with you like I should be with you. I know that I can know you more. I know I can know you better. I know that I can knit 
our hearts closer together. If that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet. In all reality, listen, every single one of us should stand because there's not one of us in this house that know enough about God to last us. We should have a desire to be with God and God should never have to ask the question, when can you come and be with me? It should be our heart's desire to just want to be with God. Amen. So as I pray, please just let him know that your desire is to just know him, to be with him, to have fellowship with him, to be united with him. Father God, we just thank you for your presence in this place tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your presence, God, that's in this place. I thank you, Father, that you demonstrated your love towards us. And while when we didn't deserve it, you died for us anyway. Uh, Father, you, you lavished such a love upon us. Uh, and it was demonstrated through your son, Jesus Christ. Let us never lose sight of that, Father God. I know I preached that last week and I prayed that last week. But I pray, Father, that all of our prayers would be, like Paul said, to know you. To know you better. To know you richer. To know you deeper. To know you fuller. To know you more intimately and more passionately. I pray, Father, the desire of our heart would continually be able to ask, when can I be with my God? When can I come and bask in your beauty? When can I come and look upon your face? When can I uh, come close to, to the, the Father who demonstrated his love towards me? And I pray, God, that you would never have to ask the question, when will you come and be with me? I pray, Father God, that every morning, every afternoon, every opportunity that we have, that we would take that opportunity to come into your presence and knit ourselves a little closer to you, Father God. That the cares of the day, that the concerns of the day, that the woes of life, Father God, wouldn't keep us from gazing upon your beauty. Keep us, Father God, from, from a deeper, uh, richer relationship with you. I pray, God, that you would become a permanent fixture in our lives, a permanent fixture in our marriages, a permanent fixture in our minds, a, a permanent fixture in our families, God, that you wouldn't be some part-time pleasure that we fit in when we can, God, but that you would be at the, 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 the root, Father God, of our faith, that you would be at the foundation of our faith, that we would desire nothing more than to be in your presence, God. Forgive us for the times that we push you aside. Forgive us for the times that we leave you out. Forgive us for the times where our heart pants for something different than you, God. When our passion is for the things of the world, and when our desires are for the things of the world, and you're left out, Father God. Forgive us for when you receive second best and, and, and leftover affections, God. Give us a desire for you. God, I know that that's something that's easy for us to ask, but help us to realize, God, that it's our responsibility to have a desire for you. It's our responsibility to do the things that we need to do, Father, to drive us into a deeper relationship with you. Thank you for your word. 
Let it find a place in our heart. Let it bear fruit, Father God. And let us walk according to your word this week. Protect your people as they go. Be a hedge about them. Bless them. Prosper them, God. Keep them in your care. Be the answer to every single one of their needs, God. Reveal yourself in a greater, deeper, stronger way every moment of every day, God. Because all of us need to know you more. All of us need to experience you more. All of us need to sense you more. All of us need to love you more, God. We pray that you would help us do that. In Christ's name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord tonight, church, for His presence and for His Word? If you have a special need, be happy to tarry with you, pray with you. Otherwise, go and love on God this week. Amen.